When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. I don't know about you, but that fills me with joy just thinking about that day, today, just right now. I hope that you all have had a wonderful weekend. I know we had a beautiful Saturday and it's a rainy Sunday, but I hope you're as excited as I am to be here to, to worship our Lord and our King. This morning, I want you to think about something. I want you to consider that if money were not a problem, you had all the money in the world, that money is no, you got a blank check. What would be at the top of your gift list? And I'm talking about either for yourself or to give to someone else. What would be at the very top of that gift list? I imagine some of us would, uh, would probably be thinking, well, a vacation would really be nice. Maybe somebody send me off or have the opportunity to send somebody else off to Hawaii or some exotic place. That would be wonderful. Maybe uh, there's others of us are thinking more of on a tech level. I imagine maybe Jim wants a new Apple computer. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> No, we, we all have these ideas that would be just great for us. But last year, as reported by the National Retail Association, uh, or no, National Retail Federation, a government agency that monitors our spending on gifts, they found that the most reported gift that was requested and purchased was gift cards. Gift cards were the most popular gifts of last year. In fact, 80% of Christmas shoppers spent on average $173 on a gift card. Now, we can understand why that is. I, I, for years and years before we got rid of my Jeep, it was, the only thing I want for my birthday is a gift card. The only thing I want for, my, for Christmas is a gift card. I want to buy those Jeep parts. I want to build it up. You don't know what I want. I know what I want. Let me just go ahead and get what I want. Now, we all understand that that. Thought, But also, think about this. It was also reported last year that $750 million was wasted, lost value in gift cards that were not used. We can also understand how that works too. You know, you get that card with the gift card in it and you're excited and you, maybe you, you put it in your wallet and you forget all about it. Or maybe worse than that, you put it back in the card and it ends up in the wrapping paper and gets thrown away. Yeah, we can see how that happens from time to time. We, we kind of forget about those gift cards. And, and you kind of wonder, I wonder why that is. That's, a, that's worth money. How does that get thrown away? And it's very possible the reason this is is because it didn't cost the recipient anything. It was free. It was just given to you. And, and you know, in today's age, well, I guess in any age, we really like free stuff. Free stuff really gets us excited. It gets us, you know, looking forward to, to, to Christmas because it's free. Looking forward to our birthdays. We're getting free stuff. In fact, I can think of a time before we bought Holly's Jeep, we weren't for sure if the car seats would fit in it. So I went down to test drive a, the Jeep, and, and I took it out and test drove it, and they fit, and I brought it back. And while I was back there, this guy comes in, and I was talking to the sales manager, and he come in with this piece of paper, and he kind of walked up and set it down. And went, I'll take that free car out there. Well, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> and he said the manager kind of thought that's pretty cool too because he said, "What free car are you talking about?" He says, "The free car that this letter I got in the mail says I just won. I just want a free car. I want that that one right there." And he said, "Well, let, let me take a look at your paper for a minute." So he got looking at it and he said, "Oh, sir, you have qualified to win a free car, but there is still something else you must do. You see, you have to enter in this drawing with several other people who are qualified." Well, you can imagine that didn't go over too well in his book. Uh, to say the least. But as, as a whole, we really enjoy free stuff. Perhaps you've heard it said before, the best things in life are free. 
that, that oftentimes is referring to our, our friends and our family and the memories we make with one another. The, the, what it, does it cost us to sit down and have an enjoyable evening with a, a friend or family member? But when we think of it in, in this terms, it is especially true that the best thing in life is a gift. And I'm speaking of the gift that which God offers all who are willing to accept it, that is eternal life. And we need to remember that it truly is a gift. We've leaned heavily on Romans 6, verse 23. We're going to lean on it again this morning. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We must never forget that this truly is a gift that, we have been, that has been provided for us. And yet, though eternal life is a gift, we must always remember that a high cost was paid to offer the gift, and a high cost must be paid to receive it. Now you might be thinking, a high, a high cost for a free gift? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That, that, how can that possibly be? That's, that's like a paradox. Well, a paradox it, it might be, but consider this. The teachings of Jesus were often a paradox. Consider the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. I know uh, Logan is teaching some of the younger children about the, uh, or had been teaching about the Beatitudes. But consider in Matthew 5 when we read, Blessed are those who mourn. That can literally be translated to, Those are, who mourn will be happy. You might think, well, that, that makes no sense. That is a paradox. That, that is contradictory. But what we see through studying God's Word, that rather than being a contradiction, these are ways, these expressions are ways to focus our minds, to bring ourselves down to discover important spiritual truths from God's Word. So this morning, I hope we will consider that how this, this gift that we have, which is free, can be so incredibly costly, beginning with the fact that it is a free gift. Now many have this wrong concept that salvation is obtained through their good works, through the good things they do, maybe their good life. You've possibly heard people say, well, he, he was such a good person, obviously he's going to go to heaven. Of the good things that he did, he helped everybody, he would give them the shirt off his back. Or maybe their generous giving of their money, they gave to the church, they gave to orphanages. Anytime someone had their hand out, they had their pocketbook out, ready to help. Or maybe even their faithful attendance to church. Every time the door was open, they were there. They were always there. Obviously, this person is going to go to heaven. These are the wrong concepts to have because what we find out is God's salvation was offered to those who were undeserving. In Romans 5, in verse 6, we read, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Truly it can be said that Christ died for us while we were an enemy to God. We were not yet on His side, and Christ died for us. And let it be known that Christ did not die for us because of the amount of love that we had for Him. In 1 John 4, in verse nine, or verses 9-10, through 10, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that, he, that we might live through Him. And focus in on verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation 
for our sins. So we see now that, that this gift was given to us, freely given to us at a time when we were not the... We were not saved. We were not clean. We were dirty. We were pitiful. We were sinners and ungodly. And it was given to us not because of the amount of love we had for God, but for the amount of love that He had for us. And then focus in in Romans, or excuse me, Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6. We finally see that it was also given to all who would accept it. In 21 and verse 6, we read, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. This is repeated again in 22 verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. So we can understand that salvation truly is offered freely. But does that mean that it costs nothing? Not at all. Indeed, I hope that we will see that nothing in the entire universe has ever cost so much. In the beginning, I want to look at what it, the high cost of providing this gift, but I want to look at what it cost the Father. In John 3.16, a passage we all probably have memorized. So God uh, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It cost Him the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. But also look in Romans 8. Something that we tend to forget sometimes is it didn't have to. It didn't have to cost Him that. In Romans 8.32, we read, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not, uh, he not with Him also freely give us all things? He who did not spare His own Son. What we can take from that is know that He could have spared His own Son. Sometimes in history, when, when things could have went a certain way, but they didn't, we tend to forget about them. Let me give you an example of that. In 2015, the Wildcats could have went 40-0, but they didn't. And guess what? We will probably forget about this season. It will probably go down in history not remembering the amazing season that it was, but the fact that it fell short at the end. Do not do that with God. He could have spared His Son, but because of His love for us, He did not. Let us always remember that the, the power of Him holding back as His Son also paid a cost. We see in Philippians 2 the cost that He paid. <clears throat> in Philippians 2 verse 5 uh, through 8 we read, Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation." taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Think of the language that was used there. When we consider who Jesus was, in John 1.1 we read that He was the Word and the Word was with God in the beginning and the Word was God. But yet He became like us. He became like us in all things except for sin. He was born in a lowly state. When we consider exactly who Jesus was and the fact that He was born into a family that He had to spend His his opening days in a manger. And He lived a life of poverty. He lived a life of suffering. This is the King. 
But He took that lowest step possible. He paid the ultimate cost through His death. But not just any death. He didn't die as a hero. He didn't die in some reputable way. He died as a criminal. He died as a slave. He was publicly hated. He was publicly scorned on that cross. So we see a great cost was paid for Him, by Him. The cost of renunciation of glory and majesty. The cost of humiliation of servitude. Even up to a point of suffering and dying on the cross. But let us not also forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has paid a cross, or has paid a cost for for our uh, our eternal life. In Second Thessalonians, chapter two, we read in, in verse thirteen and fourteen. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, uh, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God loved by the Lord. Excuse me, let me start over. Because we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit. It is His ministry through the ages to patiently call stubborn, sinful men to the, through the gospel of Christ. And we see in Ephesians 4, verse 30, that he takes, he takes a great grieving when we are ignorant, when we are ignoring, when we treat Him ill and resist Him. In Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So He also has this work, this cost that He has paid. Each person of the triune of God, in fact, has paid dearly to make the the salvation that we have promised to us possible. So certainly from the viewpoint of its provision, we see that there was a high cost to this free gift. But I also want to look now at the acceptance of this free gift. What does it cost? The first thing I want to notice is that it costs the denial of self. And not just the denial of self, but the, the putting away of much that men hold dear. We see in Galatians 2 and verse 20 that Paul was more than happy to, to bear up this cross. In Galatians 2.20 he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And we can see again in Philippians. If you want to turn over to Philippians 3. A little more strong language is used by Paul. But what things were gained to me, these things or these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ." Count them as trash. These things that I've lost, it's trash to gain Christ. In fact, we can see that one cannot accept Christ or His salvation on any lesser terms than the complete surrender of self. You know, that's kind of the problem that we see today. We see this problem that that many haven't truly made their mind up yet. Who's going to be the Lord? Who is Lord? Some say it's me. 
I'm Lord, and I'm going to be the Lord, and, 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 and Christ and God, they're going to have to just accept that. I'm going to set my own standards as to what I'll do, and they'll have to figure out the rest. Or we have to come to the conclusion, the rightful conclusion, that Jesus has got to be Lord of our lives. In Matthew 7, <clears throat> Matthew 7 and verse 21, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know, that could, that could almost be reworded to say, No one who says to me, Lord, Lord, alone. No one who says to me, Lord, Lord, alone, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. See, guys, we have, to, we have to choose who it is that's going to be Lord of our lives. And that's what makes the, the gospel of Christ, that's what makes it a hard gospel for many to accept. They do want to accept Jesus as Savior. We get that. Jesus is our Savior. We will accept that. But He's not the Lord of my life. I don't want to accept that part of it. Some have even went as far to say that accepting Jesus as Savior and accepting Him as Lord are two entirely separate acts. But that's not the case. We see in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 11. Where we read, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again in Acts. We see the same thing pointed out in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. He is both Lord and Savior. And again in Acts 10. Acts 10 and verse 36. Where we read, The word which God's yeah, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is the Lord of all. The fact is, no man can accept Jesus as Savior of his soul without also accepting Him as Lord of his life. And Jesus Himself, He made this clear when He warned that, that His here's the cost of discipleship. In uh, Luke chapter 14, we've spent a great deal of time in Luke chapter 14. And if you have the opportunity, I highly encourage you to be here for our classes in the morning because we, we have learned so much. In fact, I was just kind of thinking, why did I prepare this lesson on a day we're going over Luke 14? This is my sermon that we're, that we're studying. In Luke 14 and verse 25, now, starting in verse 30, 30, 25, we read of how hard it is to, to become a disciple, to be a disciple of God or of Jesus. What it all involves. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and, uh, and said to them, Excuse me, we're reading from Luke and not John, but we'll get to John in a minute, Eric, I promise. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot. Be my disciple. And whoever does not bear this cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with, with 10,000 to meet him or comes against him with 20,000? 
Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegate. A delegate and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We see strong words here by Jesus. Just how clear he is when he warns his hearers about the cost. In fact, the lordship of Jesus over self, over life and possessions, it must be acknowledged if we are to truly know Him as Savior. And that therefore leads us to the fact that people must realize, they must realize that Jesus commissioned His disciples in in Luke 24. In verse 47, He commissioned them to preach repentance and remission of sins in His name. In 24 verse 47, He says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. There is no remission apart from repentance. They go hand in hand. They are both required. And repentance involves the whole life. Over in 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and, and reading in, starting in verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the, of the world produces death. For observe these very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you provi- uh, proved yourself to be clear in this matter. What he was saying is not only are we to have sorrow for, for the past that leads to repentance, but we're also to have zeal. We're to have fervor for the future which will affect how we live. And we see, therefore, that repentance is abandoning our own selfish ways and going to God's way in obedience and fellowship with Him. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, when God was saying to Israel, Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Why? Because mine are higher. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Please, don't go your way. Come my way. That's the same message He still is saying to us today. My way is better. In fact, my way is the only way. And that leads us to Jesus. Or excuse me, that leads us to the idea that many have saying my way. My way is the way it's going to be. Just accept Christ and be saved. That's the appeal of many. And many people assume that that it is just simply a matter of accepting Jesus with no other strings attached whatsoever. But in John 14, now we're getting there, Eric. In John 14, Jesus, He made it clear that this was not the case. In John 14 and verse 21, we read, And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be beloved will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to me and make our home with him. It is so much more than just saying, I love Jesus. As we talked about in class earlier, it is so much more than just accepting him. If we are truly choosing Jesus, as John 15 is going to tell us in a minute, if we are choosing, truly choosing Jesus, this requires a full surrender. A full surrender to the Lordship of Christ. 
and a sincere acceptance of His commandments. John 15.10 says this, If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments, and abide in His love. That is why the gift of salvation, while freely offered, it still comes with a high cost. Salvation cannot be earned. Salvation cannot be merited by any amount of good deeds. For even after a lifetime of diligent service, Luke 17 verse 10 points out we are still simply unworthy servants. But the Lordship of Jesus rightly demands a full surrender to His authority. So yes, the gift of salvation is costly. It costs God more than heaven could ever declare. It cost Jesus the agony and the shame on the cross. And even today it costs the Holy Spirit who seeks to, to, to woo you, begging you through the Gospel to come to Christ. And it costs everyone who truly receives it. It costs Him total submission of self to the rightful claims of Jesus. The claim of Jesus as Lord of your life. Savior of your soul. So turn with me to one last passage. In Acts 2, we already read verse 36. But in Acts 2, starting in verse 36, Therefore let the house of Israel know that assuredly God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? These people recognize the Lordship of Jesus. They recognize what, it, what they had done and to whom they had done it to. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. God is calling you. He's calling you. And Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they have paid the high cost to offer you this gift of salvation. And as we take our songbooks, as we sing this song of invitation, I hope you will consider and ask yourself, have you paid the high cost of accepting it? If you would like to do so, please come forward now as we stand and sing.